So if you're, if you're new to Christ United Methodist Church, we are so glad that you're joining us at the start of the Advent season because, uh, as those of us who have been around for a while know, the coming weeks truly do include some of the highlights of the church calendar. Advent is the season of preparation for the arrival of the Messiah in our hearts and souls anew, and the season when we look forward uh, to his eventual return. And we do that individually a few ways, by participating in Advent studies, if we have the time and inclination, by reading the the daily devotionals that our pastors have prepared for the season, if we're uh, wanting to do that, and either way, by intentionally reflecting on the meaning of Christ in our lives as we journey through this season. That's what we do individually. Then, as a community of faith, there's just a long list of uh, things that enhance our Advent journey. So, obviously, the sanctuary is beautifully decorated. Uh, The hanging of the green service is a way to explain, once again, the symbols of the season, the traditional decorations. I'm sure you've noticed the new worship banners we have. Those are the liturgical color of the season, purple, and they'll change with the season. Um, We have a new Advent wreath, um, all these visuals help, embra- uh, help enhance our journey to Christmas. Christ United Methodist Church is also a congregation that cares deeply about service to others, so it won't surprise you that we have um, more than one special project for Advent. Next Sunday, we're going to be collecting new pajamas for kids in foster care. We've done this for several years now, uh, giving hundreds of pairs of PJs during the holiday season. Um, If PJs aren't your thing, no worries. You can visit the Serving Others gift trees in the atrium and give back that way. You can support the holiday market that we sponsor at Dooley Elementary. I already mentioned you could buy tamales next week to support Christ Foundry United Methodist Church. You get the idea. There are lots of ways to be in mission. Also next Sunday, we have our children's musical uh, in the afternoon. That'll be at 2 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Even if you don't have kids or grandkids performing this year, you are welcome to join us. You won't want to miss it. You'll have the chance to cheer on our children's choirs, share some Christmas joy. Uh, And you do need to know that we engage in very strategic planning here at Christ United. Um, Next Sunday, the Cowboys play the night game. (laughs) And so you can catch the children's musical and uh, the Cowboys. That's certainly what I plan to do. In two weeks, on December 11th, we have our beloved tradition of lessons and carols. Uh, Note that we only have two traditional services that day at 945 and 11. There will be a full orchestra with us this morning accompanying our amazing choir. Uh, You don't want to miss it. Be sure to invite family and friends. It's It's a perfect way to introduce them to Christ United Methodist Church. And then on a little bit different um, note, I suppose you could say, on Tuesday, December 20th, our care ministries will host what's called the longest night service uh, for those who are journeying through grief or sadness during this season. The holidays can be difficult uh, for many people for a variety of reasons, and if that describes you, then this service is especially for you. My point is that Advent is full of all these wonderful ways to prepare our hearts and souls for the birth of Christ. And then we cap it all off, of course, with the wonder that is Christmas Eve and this year Christmas Day uh, here at CUMC. We'll be talking about that the closer we get. So Chris, you may be thinking, thank you for the list. It's very helpful. Um, But what are we going to be talking about during worship during this Advent season? I'm really glad you asked that question. I'm going to tell you now what we're going to be talking about. Our Advent sermon series this year is called Heavenly Peace, uh, a title that comes, of course, from the Christmas carol that defines Christmas Eve, Silent Night. Advent is the season that begins the new church year, which means the 
new lectionary year begins as well. Um, we're going to be focusing on a new gospel in the coming year. This is Matthew's year in the Revised Common Lectionary cycle. Every gospel uh, emphasizes different aspects of Christ's ministry, as I'm sure you know. And in Matthew, the, the concept of Emmanuel, meaning God with us or God is with us, uh, is the central understanding of who Jesus is. And so we're going to be talking about this Advent season, how the idea that God is with us is the key to the heavenly peace that we sing about every year on Christmas Eve. And we're starting today with the prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament, which, be, which begins to take shape in the book of the prophet Isaiah. We're going to be reading from very early in this book right now. And um, in order for it to make sense, there are a couple of historical details that you need to know. So the year is 735 BC. And Isaiah functions as an advisor to King Ahaz of Judah. You'll hear his name uh, in the reading. And it's during what's known as the Syro-Ephraimite War. It's not a war that very many people know much about, but it was a war among God's people between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And what happened was Judah, the southern kingdom, had allied themselves with Assyria, who was the, that was the biggest, baddest empire in town, uh, in that part of the world during that time. Um, and they were allied against the combined forces of Israel and Syria, not Assyria, Syria. So it's Israel and Syria um, against Judah and Assyria. And this alliance between Judah and Assyria would ultimately lead to the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, to the Assyrians in 722 BC. This was a kind of a momentous um, event in the history of our faith ancestors because those northern tribes disappeared from the pages of history when the Assyrians conquered them. And the reason Judah allied themselves with Assyria is because they didn't think the Assyrians could be beat. They didn't think that the Syrians and, and Assyria and Israel, even if Judah joined them, would be able to defeat the Assyrians. Um, and that was a prediction that ended up proving true. Now our reading for today is set in the midst of all of this political and military intrigue. Israel wanted to replace Ahaz, the Judean king, and install somebody who would ally themselves with Syria and Israel against the Assyrians. But Isaiah is advising Ahaz to remain strong because Isaiah knew that the alliance with Assyria would ensure Judah's survival. All that is backstory to this reading that is actually the lectionary Old Testament text for a little later this Advent, but we're going to read it today for reasons that will become obvious next week. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the prophet Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Look. The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey, 
by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread, Syria and Israel, uh, will be deserted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the, the first thing to do when interpreting scripture is to uh, discern as much as we can what the original text meant to the original audience. And then we interpret it for our own context today. So in this case, the promised child um, will be a sign of Judah's security, which is to say Isaiah's prophecy is a, uh, a child who will be a sign to Ahaz that Judah will survive the Syro-Ephraimite war. That was the original meaning of this text to its original audience. And in this case, the, the prophecy of Judah's security proved true. Um, while the, the northern kingdom of Israel fell in 722 BC to the Assyrians, the southern kingdom of Judah would indeed endure. It would survive until 587 BC when they would fall at the hands of Babylon and be taken into exile. But the thing about this text is not just all that historical context. It's interesting, we need to know it, but it's not the point for today. Uh, the words of Isaiah would also provide the, the initial spark of what would become the expectation of the Messiah. And the meaning of that word Messiah would evolve over the centuries. Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. Um, one who would intervene on God's behalf for the good of God's people. And over the centuries, the title was used for kings and prophets and priests. But after the fall of Judah in 587 BC, after this catastrophe uh, that would befall our uh, faith ancestors in the midst of the exile, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel promised a future David, a future king, a coming king who would restore the fortunes of God's people. Now, interestingly, none of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, including Isaiah, uses the term Messiah for that coming king. It was actually very late in the Old Testament period in the second century BC, so 600 years after the text we just read, uh, that the future David, the hoped for king who would restore Israel's fortunes, was associated with that title Messiah. And of course, in the first century, when Jesus arrives on the scene, God's people are expecting the Messiah to come. But from that point on, um, what we see is the development of the idea of the Messiah so that when Jesus begins his ministry, that notion is transformed into the understanding we have today, not of a king um, sent from God to reestablish an earthly kingdom, but a king who is the savior and redeemer of the world. The opening verse of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, reads an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, except that Matthew is writing in Greek, and so he doesn't write Messiah, that's a Hebrew word, he writes uh, the, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, Christ being the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And 21 verses later, in the text that we're going to read next week, Matthew quotes the passage from Isaiah that we're reading this morning. 
about the child who will be called Emmanuel. Between now and Christmas, we'll talk about the fulfillment of the prophecy in Jesus and its everlasting promise to all who put their faith in the Messiah. And the beginning of that expectation came in 735 BC when Isaiah gave King Ahaz a prophecy of Emmanuel, the God who was, is, and always will be with us. This past week, uh, the night before Thanksgiving, I, I finished my annual rereading of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I, I read it every year. It's full of wisdom and humor and excellent theology. Actually, if you've never read it, I really do commend it to you. It's not long, it doesn't take long to read. But even if you've not read it, you surely know the story. <laughs> Maybe from the movie version with George C. Scott, that's the classic, or the uh, Disney version with Jim Carrey, that's the animated one, or the Muppets classic, which is probably the best one, um, or this year's new musical with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. I'm excited to watch that one, or any of the other countless tellings and retellings and reinterpretations of Dickens' classic. The story goes that a, the ghost of a long-dead business partner of Ebenezer Scrooge visits him one Christmas Eve, warning him of his fate if he doesn't change his ways. And it takes the visits of the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future to convince him of the error of his ways. And along the way, we get the charming story of the Cratchit family and Tiny Tim and, and the scenes that have become pop, part of pop culture this time of year. I think Scrooge is featured in like a Verizon commercial this year, Paul Giamatti plays Scrooge. I mean, it shows up all the time. But to me, uh, the story is really about how, how Scrooge does not realize that he needs saving. How he does not believe in anything but himself. How his life, in fact, is not fulfilled or meaningful or contented despite his great wealth. And how his lifelong selfishness is forging a future destiny that he would never choose if he was aware of it. And every year when I read it, I think that even though Scrooge is a, certainly an extreme case, his story really does paint the perfect picture of the unredeemed human condition. And I wonder, how many people there are in this lonely and broken world who do not realize that they need saving, when in fact we all need saving. People who don't realize that uh, there is much more to believe in than ourselves. People who don't realize that life can be more fulfilled and more meaningful and more contented than we ever could have imagined on our own. People who don't realize that we can face our eternal destinies the confidence and the hope of children of God and to the point for this season that the key to all of that is the prophecy that, that Isaiah first gave to King Ahaz almost 3,000 years ago. By the time Scrooge has been visited by the third ghost, he's gotten the point, of course. He has the change of heart that his long-dead friend was seeking for him, and his life forever is infinitely richer and more meaningful and more contented and more peaceful than it ever had been before. For these four weeks of Advent, may our journey together 
bring us that heavenly peace that only God can give. Amen.